the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. I'm in Pasadena, California. Oh, very nice. Never been there, but California. It's very nice. beautiful. <laughs> I've been to LA. I've been to San Francisco. That's about the only two places I think I've been. You do a lot of traveling? Nah, I mean, somewhat. Not as much maybe as Sheva. There, you know, I would love to do so much more traveling. <laughs> How much traveling does Sheva do? You know, I'm retired. <laughs> well, this past year it seems like a lot. I don't know. It is did me in these past two months. I traveled in August for my kids and summer stuff, and then the holidays. I honestly don't want to ever see a suitcase for a long while. Uh, it was too much for me. I felt very old. I felt uh, like I told you. I was telling you, Tammy. Like all yeah. I want is structure and routine, and to be home and to not. But live you were traveling for. Um, more holiday family stuff, right? Like a kind of obligatory, like it wasn't like your chosen, maybe it was, I don't know, I'm asking. Well, it's like combination because Sukkot, which was the last holiday has certain requirements like building a hut, which I don't wanna do in general and in Florida. It's like somebody was telling me that <laughs> one family bought this huge walk-in freezer and cut the top off and use that as their sukkah. Wow. I don't really understand how that works, but just just that's, even if it's untrue, the, the, the rumor of it is what? how bad it gets. That, how does that constitute a sukkah in any way, shape or form? Because you have your walls and then you just put tzach on top. You just, and there's a door, like there's a, the walk-in okay. freezer door. I don't know. I wasn't going to resort to that. It felt easier to just leave. <laughs> I, ha I have lofty goals for this coming year that I've never made dinner for all the Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, like all any of those things. I've always been to my mother-in-law's house. She's the one doing it, but she is clearly at the breaking point of doing that. And we did it at like two J's we went and it was the second time. And I was like, this is the last time I will take over now. Um, <laughs> So, so that, but in my mind, as I'm preparing, mentally preparing for next year, I'm like, I also think I want to try to do a suka too. Because, like, I just want to. Tammy and to I are two ships crossing in the opposite directions. Like, I'm just running away from it. And Tammy's like, cool. These seem like really cool family oriented I, stuff. And she's all in. And I'm I like, know. I'm done. By the, by the way, we could have talked about Sukkot as being a wonderful spiritual metaphor for kind of the temporariness of relationships and whatnot. And, how those kind of come and go and how you can build them and deconstruct them and build them again. That, isn't that really beautiful? Uh, it's a good it, sim yeah. symbolic life. It's about well, we life didn't. too. Well, there you go. We just cut to the chase right there at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, it would have been gave... nice, but we didn't. Right. We told them but we should have done that two weeks ago. Let me properly introduce Tammy. I don't have your official bio in front of me, but I'm going to miss a ton of her credentials. But Bottom line, Tammy is a licensed mental health counselor. She has her own practice, um, My Counseling Connections. How long? It's a thriving practice. How long have you had this, Tammy? Um, 
on in in virtual space since about 2009 is when I created a website thinking that was the way I opened my business. So I made a website and then I realized in 2014, no, you actually have to register with the state as a legitimate business. So, but I came out into the world as having a private practice since 2009. I mean, I worked on prior, I worked under the mentorship of someone else in private practice, but. Yeah. So on top of that, Tammy is certified in a whole bunch of divorce related things. Uh, and for the sake of this conversation, she's certified in something called collaborative divorce. What else did I miss that you're certified in? Because I do want to. Yeah. So expertise. as a way to kind of just say who I am, I would say my backstory is back in 2009, I marketed myself to family attorneys as a licensed mental health counselor thinking, well, who else would need therapy but people going through divorce? This one attorney reached out to me and I actually had somewhat of a fear trauma response dealing with family attorneys for my own life experience. And I was in awe of her spending an hour and a half on the phone with me. Um, she was like, she started out with, I, I, I wanted to reach out to you. I got a letter from you. And, um, you know, I just, I was really uh, like pleasantly surprised by your introduction. And have you ever heard of something called collaborative divorce? And I was like, no. And so she was like, well, if, if it's okay, I want to just share something with you about it. And she spent an hour and a half on the phone, educating me about the collaborative divorce process, what it was. And my background as a child of a really bad divorce, where I saw the fallout of all kinds of stuff and lifelong ripple effects to all my family members. I was like, I was just in awe, to be honest. I was like, everything she was saying to me was like this like amazing thing. Like that I was like, one of my inner thoughts was if only my parents had something like this, like what it would be for my family, how different it would be. So she was like, you know, you should talk to like a mental health professional that's um, trained in this. And so I did. And so over the course of time, I like weaved my way in and dove deep, deep, deep into collaborative. And because of that, um, it's a massive sea divorce and, and understanding all the possible like trajectories you can get thrown into. So I felt like I needed way more training and competence in all kinds of like areas that a, a family or a person might get kicked into. So I, I trained as a certified family mediator. So I'm a Supreme Court certified family mediator. I got qualified as a parenting coordinator in Florida. And then in Florida, when we um, legislated, passed legislation, um, like the efforts, the organization of collaborative, the movement became way more organized, legitimized. Then they came up with something in Florida called accreditation and accredited collaborative professional, which is... So I, I now am an accredited collaborative professional as well, which I'm proud. I, I'm proud to say that because it, it took a lot to get there. So I say that too. So yeah. Noam, have you ever heard of collaborative? Yeah. Uh, when I was in my divorce coaching certification program, they talked about collaborative divorce. Uh, it's a wonderful process. It's meant to be a healthier process for the whole family involved without litigation, right? I mean, did I? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you heard about it. You went through, but you heard about it going into your own divorce or? No. Um, I, I mean, as I reflect on my divorce, I don't know that we ever use the idea of collaborative divorce deliberately. Um, 
I heard about it. I certainly heard about it and learned about it in my certification program to become a divorce coach. Oh, got um, it. So that's really my extent of it. Got it. But it's it's very interesting because Noam's divorce was more recent. My yeah. I never yeah. nobody mentioned anything about this process of collaborative divorce, but my divorce was eight, nine years ago. So it right. definitely didn't didn't have as much traction. But Noam's was two years ago, more yeah. recent. And so it's you know, it doesn't feel like it's that's one of the reasons why I thought it would be a good idea to have you on for people going through divorce. It doesn't feel like it's a buzzword. People are not talking about it. I don't think people are aware of it. And I only, and no, I'm only found out about it in trainings <laughs> from right. the other side of right. it, That's not true. when we needed it. Oh, there are very few resources just to put that out there to reemphasize that there are very few resources out there for people just to kind of have about divorce and the different ways that they could go. I think the general idea is probably what's been dramatized is yeah. just that you go to lawyers. Yeah, right? you and lawyer up. That, right, yep. and that simple. Well, and it has to be contentious. And the whole point is, no, it doesn't. Right, and more and more people are avoiding, like they're fearful of contentious. And they, I think the mass thought consciousness is um, fear of contentiousness and like an apprehension of lowering up. But at the right. same time, that's all they know. Right, um, and, then they, and then they're in debt considerably as a result, right? Yes, very easily a lawyer can cost ten thousand dollars just to start oh right. just as that's a retainer, retainer. Right. that's a retainer <laughs> right. yeah yeah right and when ben was can on you, he talked can you about tell like us, how can you give us a brief his... synopsis of collaborative for people who've never heard of it yeah so collaborative divorce by law in florida the requirement i'm just gonna say both like and as a non-attorney i'm gonna say this right because i'm a mental health professional but by law what the requirement is is that it's that you have two attorneys that um, you are you as clients and the attorneys are basically contractually agreeing to resolve all your disputes out of court. That's the legal requirement of um, signing into a collaborative process in the state of Florida. When I jumped into collaborative, it was there was like eight states. I jumped into collaborative. I started really diving in by 2013. Um, and getting really active in all the local organizations and stuff. But at this point, I think there's like over 20 states that are now that have it in their legislature in one form or another. I'll tell you the spirit and the model and the way that it's done, the culture, the way it's done in, in Florida is that um, you definitely need two attorneys because each each spouse needs their own attorney to at least give them information. So give them guidance and understanding about the law, but they don't necessarily have to abide by the law because we are parking ourselves outside of the court system, outside of litigation, outside of the law, and agreeing to work this out all together in a, in a um, alternative dispute process. So they need their own attorneys to give them at least the parameters and understanding of what they're agreeing to and what they're saying, no, like, you know, the pros and cons of using the law and not using the law. But they also, it, what's incorporated and in the culture of South Florida is that there is um, a neutral facilitator and that's typically a mental health professional. We are absolutely not doing therapy in this process, not acting as a therapist in any way. There's a variety of reasons why they use a mental health professional to do this piece. But so you use a neutral facilitator that is neutral as in, they're working for the team for both clients and it's specific to the kind of approach that they use in dealing with collaborative um, that they need a neutral person because we 
we use an interest-based approach. And I'll talk more about that in a minute if you want. Um, so you definitely need a neutral facilitator. And then depending on the scope, well, actually the neutrals. So then the other neutral that is possibly a part of the process is a neutral financial professional. And typically that person is a um, forensic accountant. And sometimes depending on the needs of the case would be also an expert in business valuation if the family has like a business and they need that kind of, so they may use an in-house, they you may use a neutral uh, financial professional that can address all of that. And so they're also neutral and we're both working for the team as well as for the clients in addressing their mutual interests as well as their individual interests. Um, it's an interest-based approach. so. That means that you, what distinguishes it from litigation is, and it's, it's a massive paradigm shift for attorneys, is that they're born and raised in, in law school to, to, win, there's a, to win. You know, there's a winner and a loser. It's positional. They're focused on winning for their client, and they're taught all kinds of strategies and techniques and law about winning versus losing. But in, when we're talking about family relationships and these people have to share kids for the rest of their lives, like even though they may not be living together or whatever, they, there's no consideration of the impact to the relationship and the human factor mm. in winning and losing. Mm. And so an interest-based approach is different in that we are looking to understand your needs and interests of both spouses. And then how do we work in a creative problem-solving approach to get the needs and interests met, knowing that some of them are going to be in conflict? Some of them may be on the same page, which is great. So we, we identify all of that right in the get-go as we begin this process. Um, the other key components is that you're signing a participation agreement. That's the contract that binds us into the process. And the way I see it, and I love to kind of describe this to people is just in terms of the actual experience of doing collaborative is, I don't know if you guys have ever, when you were little kids, done a three-legged race, you ever done a three-legged race? Okay. Yeah. You know, the experience of like, you do a three-legged race and they're like, okay, hey, go. And you're like, you want to go. Right. And you're like, let's go, let's go. And the other person's like not in sync or they, they suck in comparison to you, or maybe they're better than you and you suck and Right. And you're like, come on. And you guys end up fighting each other. And like, but the ones, and I've had this experience where when we fight, when we slow down and we get ourselves in sync, we end up kicking ass, excuse my language, but like, then we get it going and then we can make good progress, but you have to like synchronize with your partner in your tempo and, and which leg first and blah, blah, blah collaborative process is exactly that it's like a sick a massive six-legged race because we all have to synchronize to address the needs and interests of everybody and that really is the feeling of it for the especially for the clients but also for the professionals too um, because there's so many different things going on so anyway so that key thing is that the participation agreement binds everybody to the process, which means that if the process falls apart, you cannot take your attorneys with you into litigation. Mm -hmm. The main reason for this contract is really to get the buy-in and investment, in my opinion, this is my opinion, of the attorneys. So they are fully invested and oriented to helping these clients resolve their disputes. They're not playing any games. There's no tactics. There's no, well, I'll, I'll, 
see you in court on the other side. There's no way to muscle someone except for having good conversation. So it, it really helps with the quality of the process. Um, it puts us into a massive six-legged race. And then the other key component of collaborative is that it's a transparent process, which also makes it much more productive, effective efficient, effective in communication is like, there's also all the information is shared um, about your finances, what your interests are about your concerns for the other parent regarding like their judgment on parenting, if that's a thing. You know, as a facilitator, the mental health person, it's nuanced what I choose to share with the other spouses. Our goal is to be is to minimize conflict. So I'm not going to share your personal feelings about like how this woman doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. And she, she makes me crazy. And like that stuff's not productive, but it's transparent in, in the material, the stuff that matters and, and what we all as a team need to focus on. So I know I'm sorry, I'm long-winded, but there's a lot to the, the whole thing. Um, to, but I, and I love it. It's just, and it's awesome to work in a multidisciplinary team. We're all on the same page and we're working towards a unified effort for the sake of helping a family. And it's addressing the thing about it also, I just want to say is that um, it's, it's addressing every single main major need of a family going through a massive transition is there's, there's emotional components to it. There's legal components to it and there's financial. So you're having basically a treatment team help you get through a massive like surgery that, you know what I mean? It's like addressing all the needs of the family. Um, so, yeah. I guess a question that some people might ask is, this sounds wonderful. It sounds like this great um, step up for mediation where everybody feels like they lose, but does it work for couples that are already in a contentious place? You know, does it only work for couples who are already, we want to work through this together. We're going to be that couple. That's have ideal. You seen, Can you rescue have you seen, it? Right, everyone thinks they're going to be that couple. We're going to right. be that couple. Oh yeah. Um, That's right. Everyone does think they're going to be that couple in the beginning. I mean, everybody some, well, does. Well, we're going to do it. And then yeah. you, what I call it is the minefield. Somebody steps in a mine and there's no going back. But yeah. have you worked with couples who've already stepped on the mine? Oh, yeah. And how has that been? Oh, yeah. And it's challenging. This is, yeah, it's ideal for, it's a wonderful experience for parents that can already, or families, like spouses that can already be reasonable, thoughtful, um, uh, appreciate the other person's interests, even if it's in conflict with theirs. But yeah, I've onboarded onto cases where, I mean, <laughs> the wife had set a tiki bar on fire in her backyard and took pictures and sent it to her spouse. Like, wow. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm onboarding onto the case. And he's like, she's an alcoholic. She's out of her freaking mind. Um, I'm just to be dramatic, but that was a legitimate, I'm not actually, I'm not exaggerating that case. Yeah. And, and actually we did an amazing, you know, we did a really good job for them, but yeah, it can be a real, I know you guys swear in this show, so I'm just going to say it could be a real shit show um, in terms of the clients and where they're at. Um, and if you've got a good team, that's the best kind of scenario. And, and even this could possibly be really good when like, if we're talking serious stuff, like with, it depends. This is really a, a, a intricate. You you 
got to have good professionals that vet this good, but it can be really helpful for families with um, domestic violence too. You know what I mean? It also cannot be good. It depends. You have to assess the level of how, how well this person can be the one that's the, the, um, the vulnerable, the very vulnerable parent person, how well they can have protection to think things out and assert themselves and, and express their true interests and stuff like that. So, but yeah, so to, to answer your question, yes, can but, deal so, with the shit show. <laughs> when you get couples like that, what's the success rate with them? Like, do they actually get through it or do they end up dropping out? We got through I mean, in that case, we got through it. I'm about mm. to onboard another two shit shows <laughs> mm -hmm. and I'll let you know, but we are in Florida, we're taking statistics. Um, we're, we're doing research on our cases. Um, we're between 85 to, so in mediation, the, the stat is in Florida, 95% of cases settle out of court. Current, that stat is based on alternative dispute. I believe that just means um, mediation, but maybe not. I don't know if it, if it encompasses any kind of, you know, kitchen table on their own agreements, stuff like that. I don't know. But um, our stats are showing about 85 to 95 is the range right now of, of settlement, which is incredible. And you are, if that's the statistic in terms of cases settling with collaborative, as well as if you look at the stats of all cases that 95% settle out of court, you're almost, in my opinion, and I, and I don't want to, um, be rude or disrespectful but on the other hand in, in almost all cases you're kind of a moron or like you you obviously have in your head no possible last like it's like there's no way to do this otherwise litigation but if the stats are showing that high you're going to go into litigation and chances are one way or another you're settling out of court look at the stats like are you kidding so um but our stats are showing really good so yes um so if someone were planning for divorce, Tammy, how would they find you exactly? So like how would they know that you were actually an option that they could pursue rather than just going straight up to litigation and winding up in court? Yeah, there's, there's a variety of efforts that we across the United States and across the world are part of in terms of outreach and educating people. Mm. So, so I'm part of many different efforts. One of them is um, we do actually Sheva's part of this too. We do a divorce workshop every month. The second, it's called Second Saturday Broward. And actually that's a, that's a thing that's across the United States as well. Second Saturday is um, a franchise thing. Um, and it's basically a divorce workshop to educate people about all the divorce options available for people. There's another one that the Florida Academy of Collaborative Professionals is currently in the process of licensing called Divorce Options which is slowly, but our efforts will be surely integrating into the court system so that judges will start to incorporate this as a, um, it's like a 45 minute required um, video that clients watch to educate them on all the processes because they're not, they can't count on the attorney. The attorneys are ethically obligated once it's in law, they're supposed to educate you. When you go to consult with an attorney to hire, to lawyer up, they're required to educate you about all, all options available to you to make a good decision. That's not in reality what they do, mm. um, but they, they're supposed to. So that's, mm. that's that. 
me, I talk to anybody and everyone just when they say, what do I do? And then I give them a little bit of education. Mm. Typically how a case gets started, I'll tell you, is that clients, some clients hear about it because they're savvy and they're educated. They've heard someone else or whatever. Um, but in a lot, in a lot, most common cases, I know they just, it's, it's 50% that they heard a little bit and they, they reach out to an attorney that's collaboratively trained or advertising. And they're like, what is this? Or they find an attorney and they're like, Hey, I'm here to get a divorce. And they're like, okay, well, let's hear your story. And once they hear the story, they're like, yeah, collaborative is a good process for you because the attorney's collaboratively trained. There's other efforts that I'm part of that um, we are doing a pro bono project. And this is happening somewhere in California too. I just can't remember where, but it's happening in many different states where we hooked up with a, our Broward County court, courts uh -huh. and we're doing a pro bono project with a particular judge in the family law section where um, we're educating clients bef before they file and some that have filed on this option and offering our services for free to help them get a divorce through collaborative process. So it's just a form of outreach so that they can experience what this is and start sharing it with people they know. And, you know, there's just there's so many different ways in which we're trying to get this word out and, and help people realize what's, what's out there. So do tons of presentations to mental health, yeah. mental health, like couples counselors are first line, um, first line responders, so to speak, in a, in a right. family breaking down. So right. doing that. All kinds of different stuff. That's wonderful. I know you know the statistics for Florida, but do you know the numbers in other states of how accessible collaborative? I know that Florida is pretty popular and it's been on the rise. Florida. We're doing well. California. I'm just trying to think of um, Minnesota, I believe, is where it mm -hmm. started. Yeah. But I, but I honestly, I don't know. I'd be guessing to tell you guys. I wish I knew. But you really? would say off like as a guest that it is all across like most people shouldn't have a problem in any major city finding a collaboratively trained lawyer or um oh. no some states are like not on the bandwagon yet um you know i just don't know which ones those are if but if they if you google collaborative and it's in your state it'll you'll start getting all kinds of ads pop you know you'll get a few pages of collaborative resources for mm. sure that's good so, to know yeah it's really interesting the way you describe it in terms of meeting the needs of both sides you know all parties involved you know and their interests involved um it sounds so much like divorce by design yes like trying to carve out a specific unique divorce for you right that's yeah. what it will look like yeah the some of the like cool things i say when i'm doing a consult a consultation like to just try to further educate a couple considering this process is that, for example, the law, uh, like when, if you have kids, the law only cares about your kids until they're 18. There's only right. laws in place to, right. pro to protect and provide for kids till they're 18. There's no laws beyond that about a child. They're no longer a child. They're not a minor. So there's no laws in family law about dealing with children once they're they're now not 18, you know, they're an adult. Hmm. Um, in the collaborative process, if both parents have concerns and interests around the well being and caretaking of their child and they want to put something in an agreement, they can. There's no support. They, they can, and we can support that and help them get that included as part of their divorce process. 
there's no provision for that in um, litigation. And so the attorneys would have to be really special attorneys to want to like, it, it would be up to the unique character of each attorney to be willing to go down that road and support the parents and craft that together for them. Right. You know, and there are special attorneys like that, that are, you know, they, they don't like litigation. They're really there to try to serve the um, family. And so they, they, but both attorneys have to be, you know, it's like now it's not only both parents, but also the attorneys and attorneys are like, they've got a hundred of these cases. So, you know, they only have so much bandwidth to deal with these little extra needs of family, but in a collaborative process, you have now neutrals that are wanting to address it, you know, at least bringing it to the table and creating more of a space and a process to address everything um, that the parents want, that those spouses want and need. That's actually really crucial when you think about how it impacts kids in the process to just kind of like trickle down effect and impact in that way and how contentious it can be just with straight up litigation, even if you don't go to court, but just by sticking with lawyers in a non-collaborative way, how that can just impacts everything else, right? I mean, I yeah. wonder about that from the perspective of a child and you, you, I mean, you have a very unique perspective in that way. I'm concerned, I'm, I'm not concerned, that's the wrong word, but I'm curious. I'm curious yeah. to know from your perspective, you know, what impact that was like for you. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of what I think about is like, you know, how it would have, I think about how it would have supported my parents keeping focused and having the support they need to keep focused on their problems and having people in place so that they weren't like these satellites in space, figuring it out on their own and their own attorneys could only do like, are only there to do one thing wow. and that's it. They were, they were young themselves, like in a way, you know, and they had their own issues. So, so there's these supports that are put in place in a collaborative process that we would have just had so much more buffering as kids from their shit uh, because of a collaborative process. So that's good. And I know that people, we as a, as a human, like just where we're at in life right now, I think people are more educated and aware of the impact of their behavior on kids. So I think there's more sensitivity naturally but then again when you're falling apart and you're feeling threatened and you might lose like when you're in a motion mind like whatever oh, like god you know so there's that uh, yeah um so yeah. i just i think about like what we were exposed to the just the bottom would not have fallen out as hard as harshly as much if if we had this comprehensive support in place for my parents they just needed this anybody that's you know going to struggle emotionally and there's going to be some contention and they're fearful because they're insecure and they don't financially insecure like you know all the fears and but this process is then there's all these things put in place to help them address all these fears um so the kids aren't seeing that every day all day like you know they they don't understand what they're seeing, but they certainly feel it, you know, the like stress and the whatever. And then if there's yelling and screaming, well, in a collaborative process, we are all working together to tag team each other, to educate and redirect the parents away from the kids. So it's just so much more protective for kids. In, in there's just so much more potential really to protect the kids. Mm. And that was the thing. That's why I was like, 
I have to be a part of this. When I first learned about it, I, you know, I just, yeah. It's your, it's your pain place. But I actually, when I was going through my divorce, I have a friend who was, is a child of divorce. When we were kids, it was almost like a joke. She was very well adjusted to it seemingly. And it was her excuse for everything. Like I didn't do my homework. My parents are going through a divorce, but they were going through a divorce for like 12 years, the entire (laughs) elementary school. Um, But I turned to her a lot when I was going through a divorce because her perspective was very unique to me in terms of keeping me aligned in what was best for my kids. And she wasn't a professional. She's not mental health or in in law, but she kind of set me back on the path quite a few times, um, having that perspective of what's, what's the voice of a child of divorce, like 20 years later, 30 years later. And so do you, if other than like going collaborative and going down a more mediated path, is there something that your parents did one, or like, if you could be specific about one thing you wish they had done differently, or like one piece of advice for people who can do collaborative from your perspective of child of divorce? I do think people are more aware of this, but not everybody. And I certainly for us, um, I think the most damaging thing was being exposed to um, their, well, mostly my mom, because back in the day, okay, traditional, this was the traditional mom, it's just automatically assume mom has re- primary residence and like primary time sharing dad goes to work. Okay. We're talking about back in the what? 80s, not even late. Actually, they started in the, I was born in 75 and they got divorced. I was two and a half. So that's 77 and a half. Jeez, that's 1977. Okay. (laughs) Holy cow. But anyways, sorry. So, but it it just being exposed to um, just her, my mom's like struggles, internal thoughts. I mean, she just really needed to be redirected a lot. My dad, I, I saw my dad as um, being extraordinarily depressed. He was in a hole (laughs) big time. I mean, listening to the moody, he was like just listening to music. Like I remember my early memories of him in his apartment, listening to music, just so depressed. Um, And so he didn't have the right supports in place. And who knows? I don't know if his family attorney may have said to him, like, you need a therapist, but he didn't, I don't know. That could have been, and he didn't get one. Um, but just being exposed to their thoughts about each other, um, you know, I heard a lot of blame from my mom and, and I miss my dad so bad, mm. like ridiculous. Um, mm. I didn't see him enough. So mm. I, a couple, you know, I think parents don't appreciate how much kids need the other parent, no matter how wrong they may be, doesn't matter. And we have a lot of research now and a lot of like information to support the fact that kids need both their parents. If they can have access, unless that parent is truly abusive, no matter how messed up they are, you know, it's a biological thing. We need our, there's only one. And this is what I say in my um, second Saturday workshop when we had like more of an extensive in-person one is like, there's only one mom and dad in this world on earth for you. And you can't help but want and need their, their access to them, their love and affection. And so as much as you eat, no matter how right or wrong they are, as much as you can help support that, um, the better. And the other part of hearing blame and blame and shame, but I think kids hearing blame messes with their internal concept 
of themselves because this, if they're younger, their identity is wrapped up in their parent, like unconsciously. So like they don't see themselves as separate as their parents. And so when they hear that their mom is bad or their dad is bad, then internally the experience is like there's some, they're inherently bad in some way because part of them is their mom and their dad. Like, you know what I mean? So it really messes with self-worth, self-esteem, self-concept. Um, we can't help. And, and it puts kids in the middle to have to choose, which is so messed up. Yeah. So those things I would say are the most damaging is exposure to the parents' stuff. So I have two questions based. First of all, what you just said at the end, that's what my friend, her name was Dahlia, said to me that stood out to me the most. And she said, you, your child is half your DNA and half your ex's DNA. And right, so they believe, when you talk shitty about the other person, they internalize that and experience as well. If she hates my dad, then there's something hateable about me. Yes, so totally. I really was like, if anything that we've done, right, my ex and I is, we really do not talk poorly about, I mean, I'm pretty sure he doesn't, but um, we just, that's not, we just did not enter into that, that field at all. But it sounds like you had one mom, your mom was like overly sharing, used you as a confidant and your dad had no control of his feelings. Yeah. So I have two questions on both of those. One is, I'm going to say both questions. One is how much to share, right? And I know it depends on the ages of children, but I hear all the time people come and say, my parents got divorced, my dad had an affair, or my mom did this. And I'm always so shocked. Like, how, how do you know that? Why do you know that? And so how you avoid, you know, and then the, the opposite extreme is family secrets. You don't want things to be too secretive and yeah. people don't know what's going on. Like what's the good balance of how much to share. And then the other side is it's so hard. Right. But so the other, you know what? Is, wait, oh, wait, 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 I do want to say both. Then you can answer with both or one. Um, it's, we want to model to our children the truth of part of life is experiencing emotions and divorce is sad and tragic. And so yeah. what's the balance there in terms of not being too depressive in front of your children, but also not, you know, shoving all the feelings under the rug and saying, Oh, good morning. And everything's fantastic. And I'm, you know, there's no, nothing wrong in my life and I'm completely happy. And yeah. That's yeah. validating the real. That's field. a no. Yeah. I would say pretending things are not real in terms of emotion and I'm fine. No, it, I, I'm partly going to say, I don't know all the, the right and the wrong, but um, what I do know is genuine, you know, honesty about your, like, you're allowed to be sad. You're allowed to be mad. Um, and not bringing them into the details and the, the reasons why just helping them understand that you're struggling and, and just to kind of keep them, you know, cause they're concerned about you and your well being. They love you. And, and so like, are you okay? You know, like, and like, why are you so mad? Whatever, if it's sad or mad, um, you know, to say like, I'm just struggling. This is hard for me, you know, but it's not yours to, you know, it's, you know, this, the stuff of what I'm sad about, you know, this is just my stuff. It's not your stuff. I think that would be my general answer and what to share about, um, well, what we say in our, in our divorce workshop is to, tr is to share enough to help some, to help your kids know what's happening when you are a hundred percent clear about your plan and you've mapped it out. That's the time 
to start in now, like, okay, this to help mentally prepare your kids for what's to come and what's happening in terms of the details of your divorce and like how things are transitioning and stuff like that. Mm. Um, once you know, but when you don't know and like, oh, this might happen, they don't need to worry about your stuff. Don't tell them about like what might be happening when you don't know for sure. Um, because that just adds extra stress in their head. Like then they start, you know, thinking about, oh, well, if this happens, this, then that, but you don't know if that's going to happen. So please just, you know. Um, and what about so affairs? I, Should children know about their parents' affairs? That's so hard. Wait, wait, um, what do you mean by affairs? Infidelity. Oh, okay. Yeah, infidelity. Um, I don't think that the details are good to know about because there's like 5,000 billion million layers to all that contributed to the event of that. And and I don't believe that that takes one person, you know, that's still, there was a result in the dynamics of the relationship and all the history that led to this point for that to happen as painful as it is for the person that was cheated on. Um, you know, if you take a 10,000 mile vantage point view, you can see so much more as to like, in a, from a non-judgmental space as to all that contributed to that experience and it's shitty and it sucks but you know there might be a time and place to help just for the sake of learning and teaching but not for the sake of blame and who's right and wrong um leave your kids out of who's right and wrong the judgment piece is is the hardest to leave out and probably the most um, powerful, if you can, um, to leave out is the, it's not gonna change how much your kids in like on the deepest level still want to have a relationship with their parents um, and you're putting them in a position to judge them as right or wrong. Let them figure that out as they grow and, you know, get, you know, and leave it up to the parent that, did the wrong to have share a story. I don't know, you know, like that's where I don't know a hundred percent the answer because what if that parent, the offender, so to speak, right. The one that the took the action of stepping out, you know, feels so much shame and they're like, they disclose in such a way that again, it brings the child into emotionally take care of them. That's not, that also is not healthy and good either. Like, so I just think those kind of details you, you in ideally, if you could have as much guidance and support as possible to figure out for yourself, what's the best way to, what to include, not include, how do I, how do I protect and take care of my kids through divorce? So I don't know all the answers to that one, but you know, it's like gray. There's, there's, it depends all over the place. <laughs> yeah sorry I wasn't more no that's all right but I like your general takeaway of just stepping away from trying to avoid judgment um in how you talk about your co-parent um, yeah yeah because like actually to your previous question like as the kid going through the divorce um the most damn another one of the most damaging things was uh, being put in a position to judge and we do it automatic. like that's an automatic process with anger and pain is like 
who's to blame? Who did this? How could this be like finding the offender? Um, and I, and I did it myself without the help of my parents too, just looking at their bad behaviors and, and my own blame on them. Mm. Um, and is that like, so in terms of my road of healing and personal, you know, growth and stuff, that is not helpful. Actually, I also, in my journey, need to step back and see these people as people and have better, like work towards compassion and understanding of how it all came to be. There's lots of tragedy in my background story, like the fallout effects of the divorce and all the things that happened. There's just so much pain that happened in my family is like brutal. But the best thing I can do is, is that like stepping back and from a non-judgmental stance, just understanding it all and seeing it all for what it is and, and then having compassion and, you know, and then work towards, you know, how, how can I make my life, you know, better, more quality going forward? What can I take that's a value from these events um, to make meaning and, and to learn from and grow from stuff like that? Sounds like you're also trying to pay it forward to other people. So it's not yep. that way for, for them. Yeah, that's, and that's, yes, and that's so empowering for me too. Like that's, mm. that's my, that's why it is my passion, right? Is because I've been there, done that. And just to help other people grow and protect them and give them more space to heal. So, so yeah. Really beautiful. Really, yeah, really I, beautiful thing that you do. Oh, thanks. I also think it's, it's somewhat inspiring. I think one of the concerns, I know I had it. Um, I wonder if you know, my other parents that, divorce tends to be a pattern. Statistically, children of divorce tend to get divorced themselves. Um, and you are married with two kids. So it's not necessarily the sentence, the stamp that children of divorce are not able to have. Yeah. And we've been together family. 25 years more. Wait, we got to get, I'm going to be four. I can't do the math. If you do the math, it's, math. I'm almost 46. We've been together since we were 18. And we did break up for about a year and a half. So minus that, we've been together so long. And we got married in 2003. But for me, I am super conscientious. Like, it's the greatest fear. You know, it's one of my deepest wounds is abandonment and the loss of my dad um, from when I was two and a half, really. Um, I, I still am like, excavating and like mining different artifacts from like that history to understand this deep wound of abandonment. But, but so I'm like super conscientious in how I um, like do my relationship with Lonnie and like, there's lots of like, Oh, I don't, <laughs> there's lots of just like kindred and like special and things that um, have bind us together and keep us together that are, overt that are covert that are like worked on i don't know is he you know, a child of divorce as well he's not but he's a kindred spirit he lost his dad when he mm. was 12 to cancer so i don't know i think i think the family he came from was there's a level of commitment and value to the family so he had a good he's got good cloth you know comes from a good there's, there's stuff there in terms of his um, value and commitment to the family that like I saw as I got to know him and that's, that is what drew me in, Yeah, you know, for me at the seeker of protecting, like 
at hyper vigilant to protect from abandonment. <laughs> so looking for that person, the right, the possible, and then cultivating. And I was, we dated for eight years, almost nine years before like, I was like really cautious and slow and putting certain things in place. Me um, conscientiously, I don't know if he had any clue of that, but <laughs> I know I did. So, and who's to say, cause honestly, I've come to this po point where like, I also work towards acceptance of that it could all fall apart too. Like I, you know, as much as I have done my best to for us as a partnership and whatever to make things work. Um, I also realize that things change, people change and, and, and life is not guaranteed and blah, 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 you know? So there's that side of it too. So, wow. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing your personal story, Tammy, and about collaborative, um, you, you can find Tammy at her website, mycounselingconnections.com, where it has all of her credentials, all of her expertise, her contact information. If you are in Florida, she's an amazing resource. Um, if you are going through a divorce or need any type of mental health support. And if you're not in Florida, I would say what, what Tammy said to just Google collaborative and see what comes up. If you are in that process of your divorce, I highly recommend at least getting more information about it. If you're choosing between litigation, mediation, this is a really great option. I would even argue for Jewish families out there, it behooves them to go to the collaborative process if they can, if they can find it and, and have the resources available to them. When you think about, we talked about just briefly the trickle down effects of it, right? Collaborative could mean that, you know, life after divorce is also collaborative. Litigious divorce could also mean that life after divorce is litigious. You know, you yeah. want to think about those things carefully. This has been, uh, Tammy, this has been an incredibly wonderful conversation with you. Uh, it's been spiritual too, which has been so lovely about it, uh, to know that the divorce process can be unique and designed for you and collaborative and healthy in that way and spiritual and spiritually healthy for you and your ex and your family post-divorce, especially your children, is really essential. Thank you Thanks. for bringing up our attention. Yeah. Thanks for which yeah. I want to add to what Noam said, because you both brought such a, such a good point. And I think people forget life beyond divorce right. and you forget you, you just right. think I'm getting away from this person. Thank God this is over. You forget that if you have kids, you are still have a relationship. Now you need to create an entirely new relationship, right. but sometimes it's more work, the post-divorce often than the marriage relationship right. and, and litigation kind of creates this box of what you're relationship is going to is likely going to look like and collaborative yeah. is this belief beyond the divorce of we're trying to start the new relationship now i think that's such a great point that people don't often realize that's shalom yeah. bite, right that's really shalom bite having a peaceful home even after divorce yeah yeah <laughs> thank Love you it. thank you guys <laughs> so right. much we could talk forever about this thank you guys yeah. for the opportunity take care good to Absolutely, meet you Tammy. Absolutely. Don't uh, just don't friends. Uh, don't forget to reach out to us. If you're interested, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Jewish Divorce Project. And uh, you can also send us an email at the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com or find us on the web at www.thejewishdivorceproject.com. Nice. Thanks so much, Tammy. Take care, Bye. you guys. Bye. 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 Mm -hmm.